Hey, this morning, we have some exciting things we're going to do this morning. I have asked, we have been praying since I've arrived here for God to send us the right missions pastor, somebody who understood our church, somebody who understood where we wanted to go as a church when it came to missions. Uh, One thing I told him is like, hey, you're going to have all kinds of people telling you where you need to go, where we're going to go. What you need to do is sit with the Lord and figure out where this church needs to go. We're not trying to be any other church or trying to replicate any other church. We are a very unique piece of the body of Christ and bride of Christ, and we need to figure out who God has called us to be and be true to that. Um, So that's, and he's all in, and you're going to love he and his wife. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to call them up, and we're going to do an interview style. I don't want you to think, oh, man, they have an unbelievable and rich, rich story of how God has intervened and worked in their life. So I'm going to ask Kathy and Alan, come on up, give them a round of applause. Come on, Norfolk, it's a little louder than that. Come on. There we go. Right here, Alan. Come on, buddy. You guys okay? Yes, sir. So there are several things I want our church to, to really know about you guys. And part of why I'm doing this, I want them to hear your heart. But not only that, you guys have an unbelievable God, sovereign, intervening story. But most people, when they hang out with you and look at you, you're like, here's what I tell people, you're like an older Grant on the staff. Um, Not as good looking, but. He's like an older Grant. He has a shepherd's heart, loves people, um, will cry at the drop of a hat. I mean, he is an incredible, incredible guy with a very gentle shepherd's heart, and he's perfect for our church. But many people might be mistaken and say, here's this guy, he's been an IMB missionary for 10 years, you were a church planner in Buckeye for 15 years. They may just assume um, you probably were just raised in a Christian home and your dad was a pastor and that's how this thing really developed. So will you you share part of your story of how you even got to this point? Uh, Yeah. I wish that was my story. I think about that. And I remember when I went to seminary, I'd hear these guys that their father was a deacon for 25 years or their dad was a preacher or they're the son of a preacher, a son of a preacher. And as far back as we can do my family tree, my father was an alcoholic, my grandpa's, my grandma's, and all that. And so when I went to seminary, I wished that that was my story. And I went through kind of this deep uh, sense of shame and of guilt and just wished that And I remember going like several times in my life, God, if I'm not saved, would you save me now? Just because I found myself comparing myself to other people. But God brought me through a unique uh, journey as he's brought you through a unique journey. And uh, I wasn't raised in a Christian home at all. My dad would be uh, uh, get paid on Friday and you wouldn't see him until Sunday. And so there would be no food in the house at all. And uh, I remember even seeing uh, younger brothers cry because there was no food. And uh, this Baptist church bus would would come by, and me and my brothers, we would get on that bus. And I'd love to say that we got on that bus because we just wanted to learn about Jesus. But we went there because we were hungry, and they had the biggest donuts you could ever imagine. (laughs) And uh, we'd go on there, and we'd get those donuts. And a uh, funny thing happened on the way. We started to hear these great stories, and I got to see these neat people in the church. I remember the pastor. He looked like my dad, but he was so different than my dad. He was gentle, 
and I'd see their family, and God used that in my life. And I didn't become a Christian at that time. Went through uh, a, a lot of stuff. Uh, between in my family, uh, there's like over 40 years of incarceration between uh, my brothers. And uh, I was raised in this family of four boys and no girls. And I always wondered how a girl could could ever make it in that home. And uh, God has given me the opportunity to see with my son-in-law, Jake, my daughter, Amber, my grandsons, Gunnar, Titus, uh, Bo, and Ziggy, to be able to see what that Christian family would look like. But I did not come to Christ at that time. I came to Christ later when I was uh, 19 years old. And uh, I remember when I walked into the church, it's a longer story, but I'll give you really quick. I, I didn't own anything nice. It wasn't like it is today uh, where people can wear jeans and uh, shorts and all that kind of stuff. But uh, all the men would wear suits and all the ladies would wear pretty dresses and stuff. And I didn't own anything but jeans and one V-neck sweater. And the church service had already started. And I knew that if I went into that church, everyone was going to look at me. And sure enough, I went in there and they all kind of looked at me funny. And I kind of just put my head down and I walked in there. But that day when the pastor gave an altar call like our pastor does here, I went up there that day and I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. And it's the greatest decision I ever made in my life. It's transformed my life and the legacy of my family. So, 19 years old, you probably weren't perfect before you gave life to Christ. Still not. (laughs) Still not. And here you are, surrendered to Christ. So let me fast forward. Uh, Now you're in West Africa. As an IMB missionary, married with two young children, and something very traumatic happens in your life. Talk to us about that. Yeah. I, uh, I married my high school sweetheart. Uh, the rule of thumb is if you date me, you're going to marry me. So uh, uh, I've dated two women, and I married them both. So it's, uh, and the second one, I don't know you can call it date, and she'll share a little bit of that. But I remember um, it was a Tuesday afternoon. I was in Africa, and we had just finished our language study of the African language. We'd already learned French, and now we uh, learned the African language. And I remember thinking to myself that day, life doesn't get any better than this. Well, fast forward to that Friday night. uh, My wife's telling me she feels a lot of pain in her neck, and she feels like malaria is coming on. And so she decided she was going to sit in a, in a chair out in our, uh, in our front room. And I went to sleep, and something woke me up uh, early in the morning. And I went out there, and I saw her in that chair, and I started to shake her. And there was a smile on her face, and I thought that she was playing with me or something. But then I realized that sometime that in the night uh, she had passed away. Shortly after that, and it rained that night in Africa, my kids ran up, woke up, and I remember my daughter that day screaming, running down the African roads, barefoot on the muddy roads, crying for a mother she'd never see again on this side of eternity. And I remember my son uh, sitting motionless in a seat over there. He wouldn't cry, and he wouldn't cry uh, for the next year of, my li- of his life. And I remember as we we're coming out of Africa that day in a makeshift hearse. We were following that out in two uh, blocks, if you want to call that African. All the African people gathered on the side of the road, and they raised their hands like this to show respect and, and kind of a remorse for us as a family. 
And God kind of numbed me during that time, and we went back uh, to the States to, to bury the mother of uh, our, my children. And I remember being at the funeral home, and all these people were coming up to me, and uh, they were telling me their story about how they had lost a loved one. And I was saying, okay, and I was asking a question. I was realized some of these people were nine years, 15 years back in time, and they just hadn't got over that in the past. And I said to God at that time, I said, God, Amber and Luke lost a mom. Don't let them lose a dad as well. Well, we had the gravesite, and I do not like gravesite funerals. Whenever people, I do funerals and they do gravesites, I try to talk them out of them because I just don't like them. But I, because I, that day for me is when it really kicked in that I had lost my wife, that she had died. It was in Michigan, and it got cold, and the clouds and the wind came in. And the next few weeks of my life were the most difficult time of my life. And I remember um, out running one morning. It was raining. I was crying. I was praying. And I found the lowest place that I could find anywhere and I just laid down and I put my nose on the lowest place of ground that I could find. And I said at that time to God, I said, God, I can't do this. I said, I can only do this with your help. And I tell you, God just touched me that day and the subsequent times. I would pray this prayer many times. God, I can't do this. I need an infusion of your spirit right now just to touch me. And God would just touch me during that time. And uh, God did a, a unique thing by, uh, by bringing Kathy uh, into my life. And I'm not going to, I don't know what she's going to share. I know Pastor Noe is going to uh, ask her uh, a question in, the mom- in a moment. But uh, let, me ask, let me ask you this. I don't want to skip over. There, there are a lot of people in this room, uh, even this very day, Mother's Day brings up they've lost a mother. Mothers have lost children. Um, there's all kinds of emotions going in here. My wife and I, when she lost her father, then we lost a child. Naturally, we all experience different emotions, right? Yeah. Uh, for quite some time, we were angry with God and frustrated. Yeah. Um, everyone deals with it differently. How did you cope and what were you feeling during that time of here you are a missionary? There's almost, if we're not careful, could be a sense of entitlement of God. I'm serving you faithfully and this happens. Yeah, and I think that the key for me was attitude because I did have thoughts. I remember because when you lose a child, when you lose a spouse, or you lose anybody in your life, you always think, well, that's something that happens to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And God did a couple of things uh, there. I had a really good friend. uh, He's on staff at Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. And his wife and my wife were really, really good friends. In fact, she's the only lady that ever, my wife would ever let our kids stay the night over. And his wife died when she was 32, and my wife died when she was 32. And what uh, uh, he did is he would call me every single week, and he would encourage me. And that was one of the things. And the other thing to me was my attitude, uh, because I did have that thought, God, here I am doing your will, because I was always taught in seminary and I was taught in life, if you're in the center of God's will, that is the safest place in the world. And it didn't seem so safe to me at that time. 
But I always kept an attitude that was, it wasn't why me, but it was always why not me. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to take those hurts and I wanted to recycle those hurts. And God used that in, in, in a powerful way. I remember when I preached my wife's funeral, the guy at the funeral home, he said, I am not a Christian. I'm exploring Christianity. But one thing you've done is that you've shown me that Christianity is real. And God also used that to help me to be, that it was very important to be a positive Christian witness in the darkest moments of our life. So That's good. That's good. So then you shortly after meet her. It's an unbelievable story how that happened. I want them to hear it. Yeah, I'll share a little bit, and then I'll let her share this. But this is like, uh, I'm like all of a sudden, uh, two weeks uh, before my wife passed away, she said something to me that didn't seem prophetic at that moment at all. But she said to me, and my, you hear me refer to myself as Allie. That's what I was called for 30 years, but girls have stole that name. So now I go by the name Alan. But uh, they, uh, um, what was I saying? How you two. How you, oh, how we your, met. Okay, your, sorry. What your late wife said. Yeah. I got you, man. I got you. Listen, I'm here for you. Great. What your late wife said Great. before she passed. Perfect. Perfect. And so uh, two weeks before my uh, wife passed away, she said to me, Allie, if I die, you need to remarry. And I said, Holly, there is no way I could ever get remarried. And I said, beside that, there is never, ever anybody that would love our kids the way you do. She looked at me, and she, she looked at Kathy, and she said, she will. And, no, she wasn't there. No, yeah, she, she said to Kathy. So she wouldn't write, it could have been awkward. Yeah, so it was. Yeah, she said Kathy would, and she walked away and never said another word. And so he uh, used that. And then I came back to Africa as a, as a single uh, person, and uh, they put my kids, my kids were in a boarding school, and I would travel back and forth, and I would get to see them. But uh, God had placed on my heart that, uh, that Kathy was going to be my wife. Now, word of advice there, don't go tell somebody, hey, God said you're going to, and I never did that. I heard about guys who have, who have done that kind of thing, but uh, what I did is I just brought her back a bunch of Pop-Tarts and peanut butter and that kind of thing, things that you, things that you can't get in, in Africa. But, uh, vacuums, that works. Yeah, vacuums, anything. Praise God. hallelujah. Uh, Praise his name, hallelujah. Yeah. And so uh, her and I, it just happened to be that we were in the same area one day, and we went for a walk in an area, uh, and we talked about a lot of things that day, and I realized that God might be working in that way. So 26 days later, I think I only saw her one time more or a couple times more maybe. I asked her to be my wife. And that might sound a little bit quick to you guys, but... Uh, no, hey, hey, James <laughs> says faith without action is dead faith, so you got to move, bro. Yeah, exactly. you got to move on it. And I didn't want my kids to go through a difficult process. If God wasn't in this, I was just going to kind of move on and just move forward. And so I think you should probably share a little bit of this. So, so here you are. You said yes, obviously. And now you're a single woman at this point, no kids, and all of a sudden you're about to be married with kids. What are you, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? What's going on? So, um, you know, looking back, you can see God was really working through it. He was giving us grace every step of the way. When Allie and Amber and Luke went back to the States, I don't think I thought I was ever going to see them again. And the IMB gave me the opportunity, because I was Amber and Luke's teacher. I don't think he shared that. So that's how we, I knew them. 
Um, but they gave me the opportunity to go back home and that my service would be considered complete. But I really felt like I had more to do. I had learned the language. There was a lot of preparation and training. So I packed up my stuff and I went to a new city and I started a new mission. And then they actually did come back to Africa, which was unexpected. And he would bring Amber and Luke to visit me because they loved me and I loved them. And it was nice to see them. And that's when we began to talk uh, little by little. And I remember one night uh, kneeling down in my bed and praying, Lord, um, if you want me to marry him, I will. Which seems a little bit like a weird prayer. But when I got saved at 19, the first few years after that, I used to pray this one prayer, probably 30 times more than any other prayer. I would pray, Lord, you have to pick out my husband because I'm going to mess it up. And it's kind of a big deal. And so you, and I would just pray it all the time. That's what I prayed for the vacuum cleaner yesterday. (laughs) I would pray, Lord, you, I just really want you to choose my husband. And I made a decision at 19 that I was never going to date anyone that I couldn't see myself marrying. And I never ended up dating. I wanted to make sure that I was on the right track. So fast forward back to Africa. Um, He finally proposed. Took him 26 days after we started talking. (laughs) How old were you at this point? Uh, I was 24. I was 24. How old are the kids? Seven and nine. Yeah. Seven and nine. Yeah. Hey, so we're Amber and Luke are here somewhere. They're up there somewhere. Hey, oh yeah. Come up here, Luke. He didn't. He didn't plan this. Amber, why don't you come up here too? They didn't Amber's plan up. it, but is, is Amber around? Oh, Amber's way up there. Come on, girl. We'll, t- we'll wait for you. So here is Luke. Luke, how old are you, Luke? Thirty-one. Luke is thirty-one. Enjoys long walks on the beach, single and looking. <laughs> If you're going to meet anybody, it's going to be in the Lord's house. Amen. Amen. And so um, here is Luke. And how old were they, were they at the point at the time? Luke was seven. Seven. And Amber was? Nine. So here is Amber. Amber is actually part of the committee who called me to this church. So the story. Yeah. I, I just put your life at risk or they're really excited that you did that. Um, and they're huge servants of our church. Her husband is an elder of the church. You guys were fairly young, but I don't even know if I can extract, if you can remember your emotions, your thoughts, your feelings during that time. I'll go first. I'm Luke again. Uh, Long walks on the beach. Long walks uh, on the beach. (laughs) I'm available. Uh, (laughs) Hey, I knew you. I knew it. Uh, I could just kind of retell the story uh, a little bit of that night. Uh, We woke up to a thud. Uh, as my dad was trying to do CPR to my mom. It's a really tough time for both of us. Uh, I went, as he explained, I didn't cry for a long time on that one. I I don't, probably should, Uh, but it's been kind of one of those things that you just can't really tell people. How I explain it is time stops, but the world keeps going. Mm. So you're watching everybody else laughing and stuff, and you're like, how can you do that? You know. But something that I really, really was impressed with my dad, and my mom does the same thing, is how he just... Ask God, what do you want me to do with this? There was never a thing where he was like, why? And we had these long moments of that. Immediately after we get back to America, we bury mom, and he just is like, we're going back to Africa. And we're like, sure, let's do it. And we followed him back out there before. And I'll actually let my sister tell it. We had a fun story at Burger King. And so we actually picked out mom also, which she'll go ahead and say. No, I'm actually not going to tell that story. But it is a good one, and on your first date with one of these lovely ladies, you can tell them that story. Uh, to, to answer, the original question was, I don't remember. 
This is your father, isn't he? It's him. How did you, um, talk about the emotions that you yeah. made, what, what happened? And... You know, the Lord is incredibly faithful. And uh, my, my mom was full of joy, full of joy. She has, I know that she prayed, she's written, I have like written notes of my mom, like praying that we would be full of joy. And my dad shares these stories now about him, like, uh, you know, crying out to the, to the Lord. But we didn't see that, you know, as parents shield their children from that. So we honestly were incredibly protected during that time. We had family who loved us. The Lord was the ultimate comforter, and you really know that in times of great loss. And, um, and the Lord was faithful, and the Lord comforted us. Of course, we were sad. Of course, it was devastating. But he carried us through that in a really miraculous way. And I think even at 9 and 7... We felt the presence of the Lord mightily in that time. Um, and I remember telling my dad when we were back in Michigan, you need to marry Kathy. <laughs> I did. And it was, and I think truly it was, I'm a little bossy, but also it was, it was truly the Lord, I think, preparing all of us for the great things that he was going to continue to do and our story wasn't yeah. over. Hey, church, I, I want you, this, honestly, I mean, you look at Luke and Amber, this is a God story um, for the the children not to go away, Lord, and be so angry at God that they just ran from God. But now they're, they're both being used by God in a powerful, powerful way. They both are so in love with God. It's really a God story that he has his hand on this whole thing that's going on. And God has, has really blessed us and gifted us with Kathy and Alan by being part of this church now. It's an unbelievable God story. Hey, Luke and Amber, thank, they had no clue they were coming up here, so thank you. You did very well on your feet. So let, let me let me ra- let me let me round this home. Um, now you're here on staff. So you, there's been a lot of life that you've lived, a lot of experiences. What brought you? I mean, you you were you and I spoke. You were sought after by a lot of churches, a lot of people. You could have gone anywhere. What what brought you to this church? Uh, I think the big thing that God used uh, for me, Pastor, is I have a verse of Scripture. We all have the same verse, but it says, you know, the peace of Christ shall rule your heart, which basically means Christ, that peace will be the umpire of your life and tell you what's right and what you should do and shouldn't do. And uh, it was when Pastor was sharing his vision. I've been a pastor for 29 years, and I can honestly say, and my wife can attest to this, I've never met a visionary like him. And I saw his vision, and I saw where he sees this church going, and, and his humility. And I went home, and I told my wife, I hope they asked me to come there. I want to be a part of that. And that's what really sold me. And it, it, what a, we're humbled and honored to be a part uh, of the great vision that God has given Pastor and be able to, to reach not only the valley and, and our community, but uh, to the ends of the earth. So we're super excited about that. Thank you. And I didn't, that wasn't like an alley-oop. I didn't ask him that so he can say that in front of me. But great answer, great answer. <laughs> hey, listen, you got an entire church. Something about this church is um, they get it. And they're willing to go out there and tackle the world for Jesus. They're willing to do what it takes. They're willing to get uncomfortable. We have an unbelievable church. And so while I believe you guys are a gift to us and where you're going to help us go, uh, I believe they will be a gift to you guys as well. These are some of the most loving and supportive people. Uh, one thing I told the guys before they preach, I said, this is, the, I, this is the easiest congregation you'll ever preach in front of. They, they clap, they cheer, they talk back. They're just loving, loving people. 
So let me tell you guys, we love you. We promise, as I told the kids we dedicated, we will love you guys well, okay? Mm -hmm. We promise to just support you, lift up your arms, and walk with you. So we love you guys. Thank you for taking the time to do this, to share your story. Give them a round of applause. Hey, listen. Yeah, you can stand to your feet. Give them a round of applause. You can just stand to your feet as we get ready to leave. And we're closing, but I want you to hear this as we close. And if you can, just sit tight for for 30 seconds. On Mother's Day, there there are a lot of churches who uh, unintentionally fail to address certain things. And sometimes what happens is on Mother's Day becomes the day people dread attending. So I want to read this. Normally I memorize my entire sermon. I don't want to mess this up. So let me read this to you. I want to speak to women specifically in the congregation this morning. To the women who have desired to be mothers and have been able to. According to Romans chapter 8, which I read earlier, God loves you and he sees you. To the women who are playing the role of mother and father, as my mother did, I know you are exhausted. I know you are weary. God loves you and he sees you. To the women in here this morning who have miscarried, and even parent dedication or Mother's Day brings up the pain of that day, God loves you and he sees you. To the women who have guilt and shame from the regretful decision of abortion, I know and I can't imagine that this day brings up a lot of shame and guilt and regret. I promise you in Christ, God loves you. He loves you and he forgives you. To the women who have wayward children, the guilt and shame of you may have done something wrong and didn't raise them right. God loves you, and he sees you, and he yearns to continue to walk with you. To the stay-at-home mom who often feel unseen and lonely and wonder if what they do over and over and over even matters, God loves you, and he sees you. To the working mom who feels pulled in so many different directions as a woman trying to feel like they have to break through and earn equality in the workplace and wonder if they are enough as a woman. God loves you. He has created you in the image of God and he sees you. To the mothers who had to bury your children, something that should never have to be, God loves you and he sees you. To the women who have stepped up in the gap to fulfill the role of a mother, maybe it's a grandmother, a friend, but you have stepped in the gap and become a mother to many. God loves you and he sees you. Women of the church, this list can go on and on and on and on. But I am going to hold true to the promise of God in Romans 8, where he says there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. So to the women in this church, thank you, thank you, Thank you, and happy Mother's Day to each of you. Let us give them a round of applause. Come on, North Phoenix. Come on, a little louder than that, North Phoenix. Come on. Come on. Come on.
to come forward and maybe you're here this morning you are carrying this overwhelming guilt and shame and you don't even know how God can love you let me just tell you God sent his son his only son to die for you and for me so that Romans 8 can become true that once you are in Christ there isn't a decision you can make that will separate you from the love of God And some of you are walking insecurely because you have no confidence that God loves you. Let me just remind you, through Jesus, he loves you. But but you must accept the Son if you want to get to the Father. So if you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, ever, 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 let me tell you, do not leave this place without surrendering your life to Christ. So that statement in Romans is true. In fact, I want everyone to close your eyes and bow your head. And I want all of us to say this together. Everyone together, say, God, I know I'm a sinner. Say, God, I thank you for your son. I thank you that your son died for my sins. And if you mean this, say this next part. Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. From this day forward, I will follow you all the days of my life. Listen, with all eyes closed, if you pray that for the first time, you just raise your hand. What a day to celebrate. If you pray that for the very first time, just hands, amen, hands everywhere. Just keep them lifted everywhere, all across this room. Keep them lifted. Keep raising your hands. I surrender to Jesus. I surrendered. Amen. I see. Amen. Amen right here. Anybody else? I surrender. Amen. Amen back here. Amen. Amen over there. Listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a portion of a song. And if that is you, maybe you're here and you're willing to take the next step. You need to get baptized. You want to surrender your life to Christ. I'm going to ask you to come to a pastor. Father, give them the strength that they need to come forward so that Romans 8 is true in their life, that nothing will separate them from the love of God because of Christ Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.